0: Income Podcast, I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. We've talked
1: briefly in the past about some of the past research around cash transfers. And there's been a fair amount of studies on that, And in particular, some basic income pilots that have taken place in India in the past. And there's recently actually been quite a growing debate in the country on the policy but we really haven't had a chance to delve in on that topic until
0: now. So here to help us do that is someone who's spent a lot of time with these issues in India. So joining us is Saksham Kosla. He's a research analyst at Carnegie India. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: So to start with, can you just tell us generally about your work on universal basic income?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my research on UBI has really started in the aftermath of the Indian Ministry of Finance's uh, proposal for a Indian universal basic income that came out in 2016. Um, that particular report seemed to have set a firestorm of debate in India about how does some radical transformation of the welfare net uh, can be implemented in India. So after that report I really became interested in figuring out how apt really is such an intervention for the Indian context um, and what might one think about when uh, something like this has to be implemented at the scale and size and scope that is India. So that really was the the rationale for getting into uh, discussing a UBI for me.
1: Now, you've written that there is an active debate around basic income in India. Can you tell us a bit about what is the driving interest there behind the idea? Is it, in the US, oftentimes automation is is brought up as a reason for people to become interested. And there are people who explore it for other reasons here as well, looking at the anti poverty and equity value of the, that the policy might bring. But I'm curious if you can give us some insights as to what's actually causing people to pursue this policy there.
2: Absolutely. So like in the U.S., a um, universal basic income is not, a, not really a new idea for India. Um, in the late 60s, there were debates uh, happening within the Indian cabinet about whether a minimum income standard would be a useful policy intervention. Uh, That debate seems to have uh, subsided since then, but it seems to have picked back up uh, starting around 2011 and 2012 um, when a couple of Indian economists uh, seem to have started thinking about whether there is an argument to be made for administrative efficiency. And that really is the big driving uh, rationale for an Indian UBI. Uh, Can it outperform our existing social safety net, which is uh, one that is incredibly expensive. It's sort of a patchwork of programs that takes place uh, across the country and for a variety of different populations. And the, the thinking is, well, can one cash transfer, something that suffices for a household and is enough to cover their basic needs, and that's delivered directly into people's bank accounts? can that really outperform some of the more complicated welfare arrangements that we have in this country? And since then, that debate has really been picked up by lots of economists, scholars, researchers, activists. Uh, and that has finally culminated uh, in the economic surveys report
0: that came out uh, a few years ago. So we've spoken in recent episodes about the importance of understanding the context uh, of a country's current social benefit system before we you know, just throw in a, a UBI. Um, so if you could just help us understand India's current anti-poverty programs and other social programs, that would be really helpful.
2: Yeah, so poverty alleviation
0: strategy has really
2: comprised three basic prongs. First of all, obviously economic growth. Um, second is public services like healthcare, education, uh, sanitation, and so forth, um, and the third, in which particularly the Indian state has invested heavily uh, since the 2000s is social protection, Um, and this involves transfers of varying kinds, subsidies, um, and these can broadly be broken down into two uh, basic tents. Uh, The first is obviously services that are uh, rendered for individuals who are in the formal sector. Uh, So whether you're a government employee, whether you're employed by an organization um, it sort of pays taxes um, and has its employees on a formal payroll. Um, but these the formal sector really comprise a minority of India's labor force. Um, little less than 10% of uh, the entire working population falls within the formal sector. Uh, India's welfare architecture really kicks in and sort of comes to life uh, for the remaining 90% of the Indian workforce. Those who are in informal organizations Um, They're off the books, they're self-employed, they're primarily involved in agriculture. And here, the Indian state has a variety of programs. The first, broadly, are programs that are more or less transfers. Uh, These involve India's flagship fuel, fertilizer, and food subsidies. There are India's public works program called the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Program, which is the world's largest public works program. Um, and then you have a series of insurance programs, as well as uh, the National Social Assistance Program, which is uh, basically a combination of pensions that is given to the elderly, those who are disabled, widows, and so on and so forth. Um, so that is the broad sort of a generalization about India's social safety net. Um,
1: some of these, mostly they are in kind, but there are a few cash transfers in there as well. Now, India currently has over 1.3 billion people living in the country. Can you talk about how does the massive size of the population affect how the country administers social benefit programs?
2: That's a really good I think uh, the way the country has uh, figured out how to administer the variety of programs is to essentially leave the central government in charge of the biggest and the most expensive these programs, and then work alongside state governments as well as local governments to decentralize some of this work and have them do a little bit of the heavy lifting. Uh, So while the funds may actually be coming from the central government, a lot of the day-to-day implementation is actually done by state governments or district administrations. Uh, Now, of course, there are a lot of individuals that fall through these cracks, just given the size uh, and complexity of India, but that is the general thinking behind, well, how does one go about addressing
0: such a population. So now getting into your analysis of the UBI proposal by the Indian Ministry of Finance Economic Survey, could you describe the proposal and also share your views on its, what you see as its shortcomings?
2: The proposal, the big headline findings uh, from the proposal are basically along the following lines. Um, I definitely do recommend checking out the entire chapter in its entirety. Um, but the sort of big takeaways from the, the Ministry of Finance chapter. Was that um, a transfer of rupees 7,000, which comes out to about um, $110 annually, would bring down poverty from the existing poverty rate, about 22%, to a poverty rate of about 0.5% if that transfer was given to 75% of India's population? Uh, so it's important to know that this is not a fully universal transfer. The economic survey comes out and says that uh, completely ensuring coverage of the entire population would be something that would be too fiscally costly um, and possibly even politically costly as well. So it advocates for a 75% coverage rate um, and it suggests various ways of excluding the remaining 25%, whether by targeting certain populations, rolling it out sequentially, um, possibly even targeting different geographies of the country and then taking it up to a larger scale. Um, the cost that the economic survey puts uh, for such a transfer to a population of that size is about 5% of GDP. Uh, this is a fairly high, uh, fairly costly an estimate um, and the survey comes out and says that this isn't something that can be an add-on to existing programs. Uh, So all the programs that I talked about earlier, uh, like the public works program, the public distribution system, uh, which is to ensure food security in the country, um, and a variety of other large welfare schemes would essentially have to be rolled back or dismantled to make a place uh, for a UBI, uh, for a quasi-UBI, as the survey calls it, of this magnitude. So after, after looking at how the survey goes about, putting together this estimate um, and the implementation of a UBI, um, I had the sort of following thoughts uh, to evaluate this proposal. Well, first of all, it is not really a universal basic income. Uh, obviously, it's for 75% of India, not the full uh, population. So there is going to be targeting still retained as a big part of the program. Now, the survey says that it wants to exclude the rich rather than target target the poor. Um, But that still seems to me, at least, leaving the door open to a series of inefficient uh, means testing mechanisms uh, or even other targeting techniques that may not work uh, as easily in practice as they would in theory looking into the survey's way of calculating the transfer, the annual transfer of about $100 a year, um, it's a fairly low payout because it's based on a lower poverty line um, than alternative poverty lines that are available in India. Um, And it's not a true poverty line transfer as well. It's uh, essentially a cash transfer um, that is supposed to push people over the poverty line. Um, If we were to actually Calculate the cost of giving uh, folks in India a poverty line transfer, that would come to about 10 to 12% of GDP rather than the 5% the survey puts forth. Um, And that's actually more than the entire central government's revenue in the past. So we can see already that the the size and population of India is a big constraint on pulling off um, an effective UBI. So the the final part of the puzzle is, well, how do you actually send folks to transfer? Uh, the survey puts a lot of stock in uh, India's national biometric identification system called Aadha, um, and the government's push for universal financial inclusion. Um, the survey actually comes out and says that these two pieces are essential to have in place before one can think about having a universal transfer deposited directly into people's bank accounts. Um, I completely agree with that estimate. I think it's uh, fairly early um, in our financial inclusion system to think about transmitting such a transfer effectively. There have been a series of evaluations by scholars, activists, um, and journalists uh, of cash transfer experiments that are currently being undertaken in relatively urban parts of India, where the food security program, uh, the food that one would ordinarily get under the program, uh, people are being given cash instead of that. Uh, So a series of evaluations have found that uh, for a variety of reasons, whether last mile delivery, the actual amount of the cash, um, the cost people have to bear in receiving the transfer, then going and expending it um, in the open market actually has uh, created significant concern for these populations. Um, So in parts of the country where things like the PDS um, and other welfare schemes are functioning fairly effectively, uh, the preference for cash transfer is actually fairly low. Um, And we can see the series of implementation problems the current government is facing with implementing cash transfer as uh, indicative of just how far we have left to go before we can think about universal or even quasi-universal cash transfers across the country. So a UBI, for all its worth, in theory, um, actually radically changes uh, when one thinks about translating it into policy and in action.
1: You mentioned challenges with last mile on this a new cash transfer approach. Can you elaborate what those issues are?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the pilot evaluations of um, what are called direct benefit transfers have essentially found that, um, and these have been a series of evaluations that have been going on by organizations like JPAL uh in coordination with the food ministry, um, and they've essentially found that the size of the subsidy uh, in particular has not been enough uh, for individuals getting the transfer to compensate uh, for their typical consumption expenditure. In addition, uh, the combination of cash transfers with the biometric identification program um, has complicated things significantly. Uh, what that means is that when an individual goes to get this cash transfer, they must authenticate their fingerprints to receive that transfer. Um, and their fingerprints are essentially recorded within the nation's biometric identification program. Um, and across rural India, uh, authentication failures are an uh, incredibly big reason why people have been unable to receive their payments, and that has resulted in massive exclusion errors where people who would have otherwise been uh, able to receive their food rations simply by demonstrating uh, their ID card to the person actually giving out the screen uh, have been systematically denied uh, their, their cash transfer. So, authentication failures and exclusion errors that uh, have resulted as a part of the Aadhaar program, just the biometric program, um, have been a significant obstacle in, in receiving this transfer. And over and above that, uh, actually going and spending this money in the open market has been something that incurs high private costs because one has to uh, take out the time to actually go and receive the transfer, uh, go and spend it out in the market. Because of all these reasons, uh, there's a lot of progress that needs to be made before large scale hoc ad- ad- linked cash transfers can be actually uh, trusted to fully reach recipients.
0: That's very interesting. So universal basic income has a lot of principles embedded in it, such as universality and unconditionality. Um, even if a full UBI is, may or may not be right for India, what principles from the, the overall concept do you think would be useful in implementing and in changing India's social benefit programs?
2: So I think uh, something that has benefited several state governments um, and even the central government in their implementation of uh, existing welfare programs, um, and I'm thinking particularly of the public distribution system for food security, has been to universalize coverage um, and reduce the number of eligibility criteria uh, or bureaucratic hoops uh, a beneficiary has to jump through to receive that transfer. So several uh, southern and central, uh, even eastern Indian states have found that when they've implemented reforms that make it uh, easy for a vast proportion of the beneficiary population, to receive the transfer with relatively little bureaucratic uh, middlemen, that actually has helped reduce leakage, um, reduce corruption, reduce the chance of transfers being diverted uh, from beneficiaries. Uh, So a big reason why uh, the administrative efficiency argument is made in favor of the UBI, that argument loses a certain part of its salience when one considers the progress that India's existing welfare schemes have made to reform themselves just by implementing the principles of universality um, and to a certain extent unconditionality as well. Um, so one thing that I actually think, and this is something several scholars in India have put forth could be a stepping stone potentially to a UBI, is to universalize existing social pensions among folks uh, that are elderly, uh, the widows. Um, and people who are disabled, because these are vulnerable populations. Uh, They're easily identifiable. And a series of evaluations um, and studies over the past uh, decade have found that this is a program that works particularly well relative to other schemes. Um, So if one were to universalize payments uh, and social pensions in particular, uh, I think that would be a, a very useful way to combine the central uh, tenet of a ubi uh, which involves cash given to uh, universal populations with as little bureaucratic intervention as possible
1: so delving more into the politics around this can you give us a sense for what is the current conversation around basic income and, and similar policies in india right now where does there seem to be momentum for actually pushing forward real change
2: i think The conversation for UBI, at least politically, seems to have hit a pretty significant roadblock immediately after the proposal was submitted uh, by the Indian, the Chief Economic Advisor's Office. Um, The Chief, the country's finance minister, pretty much came out and said that the country's finances cannot handle a UBI at this point in time and that it would be easy to implement, but very hard to roll back. Um, So I think there is, fair amount of uh, political uh, doubt I think about the the feasibility and the need for such a program at this point in time but I think there there is certain cause for optimism uh, if not from the central government but from the state government so several Indian states are actually contemplating whether it would be easier um, and more feasible to convert several of their existing benefits. Um, into cash transfers, uh, combine that cash transfer and transmit that to their uh, beneficiaries. Now, obviously, there are a couple of dangers here. One has to be careful that this isn't a program that happens only in India's most um, effective states administratively um, and states that rather than states that actually need this sort of intervention. Um, and that under the guise of a UPI, this isn't an excuse to sort of uh, step back from the state's obligations to its citizens and convert programs that would be relatively high functioning into relatively meager cash transfers. Uh, I think that's a big risk. So I think the the conversation right now, at least politically on a UPI, uh, seems to be uh, at a bit of a standstill. But I think... Don't think that that is should be cause for pessimism. Uh, several folks have recommended that coalitions of workers' unions, whether they are informal workers or workers in the formal sector, could come together um, to agitate uh, for a UBI. In fact, several of the UBI experiments in India have been conducted with the help of the Self-Employed Women's Association, uh, which is a group of women running small businesses um, for whom... This policy seems to have, seems to hold great potential. So I think that's where uh, the political discussion is at. Um, It's also hindered because we really don't know what the final form of a UBI will be in India. The economic surveys proposal uh, is just that, it's one proposal, but we don't know whether a central state government would go about actually implementing it. Would it involve um, higher amounts of taxes? Um, would it involve actually dismantling existing schemes, in which case a brave government would have to contend with the beneficiaries of that scheme um, and their sort of political ire, as it were. So I think that's where the political discussion is at.
0: So given the uncertainty both around the politics and also about what is the right way forward, what do you see as the next steps for basic income in India?
2: So I think for both UBI UBI, folks that support UBI and those that criticize the the applicability or the feasibility of such a program, the the only way this discussion can move productively forward is, I think, through a state-administered basic income experiment. And I want to emphasize the part uh, that this should be something that should be administered by a state government or a collection of state governments, potentially even by the central government. Because rather than uh, the, the discussion that's happening in the US um, or in certain parts of Europe, the key constraint to implementing a basic income in India is state capacity um, and whether the Indian state implements it in such a fashion that is more effective or can outperform existing schemes. So relative benefits uh, or merits of the idea quickly lose any of their relevance um, if what we get in, in its place Uh, is a program that leaks, uh, that has a high chance of uh, encouraging corruption, um, and that may even come at the cost of schemes that do actually deliver their benefits to uh, these citizens. So I think a a basic income trial, ideally something that is longer than five years, to resist electoral pressures and to give us uh, a long-term cash transfer effect. Is incredibly important uh, for this debate. And if we can get this done with the participation of an external agency that has high amounts of experience evaluating uh, large randomized control trials or other forms of um, welfare evaluations, that would be an ideal way to figure out well, is this really something that fits neatly within the Indian welfare context? And is it something that is worth investing? 3 of time, and even political, will behind.
1: That was Saksham Khosla, a research analyst with Carnegie India.
0: So I found it very interesting when he described the problems of implementation of cash transfers. It felt like the reverse, at least in the U.S. and a lot of other countries, where usually if you're, if you're delivering stuff or some kind of non-cash benefits, that's much harder than delivering cash. And there's a lot of transfer issues, whereas cash is just instant and easy. Whereas, as you know, as he described, it's that's not really the case in India.
1: Yeah, I think this was a great example of understanding the key differences that will ultimately lead to different right solutions in different countries. And then recognizing that it seems like there, I mean, he talked about leaks and corruption in the process, and so, They have systems they've developed over time that are, at least it seems, currently somewhat resistant to that. And if you're talking about something new, that last mile piece may actually be a huge challenge. And so whether you use cash instead of specific in-kind goods, any sort of new approach, and also the amount of security you need to include with it in order to try to prevent that those all create additional barriers that you don't necessarily think about at first blush.
0: Yeah, and like you said, I I think it shows the importance of experiments and trials, just because there's always going to be something that you're not thinking of when when you actually lay it out. I feel like a lot of us advocates can kind of get frustrated because we feel like we know this works, that we should just do it, but you learn so much through all the trials that we've done, and especially in a context that at least we're not particularly familiar with. And we talked about this
1: in the episodes earlier this year with Elizabeth Rhodes. But for the Y Combinator experiment, the first thing I did wasn't to run the experiment. The first thing was to do a very small pilot just to understand logistics. So even here in the US, people recognize that once you actually, once the rubber hits the road and you're actually talking about real programs, it's so important that you really dig in and understand what are the logistical challenges, how are there ways that this may have unintended consequences or break down at points that we we might not think about in a top level economic analysis.
0: Yeah, and speaking of economic analyses, I always find it interesting what conditions people choose to set when they're creating these analyses. You know, he described one where 75% of the population which it's just kind of daunting to think about how that remaining twenty five percent is like the population of the United States. Uh, but you know that's that's one way to do it. we We spoke to um you know the the team in washington d c who looked at a basic income at the poverty level and four and a half times the poverty level. And I just find it interesting the sorts of choices that people make when they're modeling this out. And I feel like, You know, that's something where it's a lot cheaper to do an economic analysis, but we could still use a lot more of those to just kind of get a feel for what different programs might look like.
1: Getting more movement on all fronts, the more, the better we understand this, the more
0: informed and deep debates we can have, the better for moving things forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. Please subscribe on the podcast service of your choice and leave us a rating or review. And please tell your friends to bring more people into this conversation. See you next week.